Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida. Thank you, Matthew Arter. Welcome back, guys. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I watched Season 7, Episode 3, Grand Opening, which had an original air date of September 28th, 1985. We're going to begin this show kind of sort of already in conversation in progress, where I'm just on the tail end of a period of time of being really, really busy. Partially what necessitated my taking that week off before we got back into season seven. And uh, I hadn't quite had a moment to breathe when I needed to record last week's show and then this one, which we did uh, actually both of them in one day, which is very unusual. But anyhow, that's just my state of mind that you are going to discover me in. So I think that's everything. Let's do this and jump on in. Let's face the facts. I did a reading yesterday. I ASM'd last night. I'm fucking exhausted. I am so happy to be with you, Matthew, right now. Please make no mistake. Make Do not infer anything other than that when I say, I would rather have just laid in bed and rested just to get the shit out of my head. I'm exhausted. Honey, do you want to go to bed? No. Okay. No, I want to be here with you and bitch about a shitty, oh. awful TV show. Okay, because I got that. Like uh-huh. this episode is a is a garbage episode. For oh, me. I am I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just there's oh there's just so many things. Yeah. We're, we're jumping right in here, people. Let's let's not dawdle. Let's not dilly dally, lollygag or piddle fart. Mm. Season seven, episode three, grand opening, September 28th, 1985. Grand opening. I'm, I'm going to say a subpar opening would be a better title. Um, I would almost put a question mark after it. Yeah. Grand opening. <laughs> I it was I just, and I don't David I would like it stated here and now. I don't want this to become a Matthew hates facts of life podcast. No, cuz we already have me to carry that component of this show. And I do love it. It's just now that I'm watching it with supposedly quote unquote critical eyes, I'm like, oh, this is oh, somewhat painful a little it, bit. There were Oh, yeah. There, there were cringeworthy were... moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it was written by the wonderful Bob Benditson and Howard Benditson. <laughs> the First... comedy brother team from, from vaudeville. <laughs> exactly. Uh, known as the Bendleton brothers. <laughs> exactly. Say there, Mr. Bob. What is that, Mr. Howard? But, uh... Yeah, I assume they're brothers. There, there is a lot more written about Bob Benditson because he, uh, with this, let's just call it his brother, the two of them together wrote two episodes of The Facts of Life. This is the first one, and the second one is coming up, season seven, episode seven, Duwa. Oh, that's when they sing with Elder Barge. Oh, Jesus. So uh, that's a good one? No, but... <laughs> No, but it's a great, it's a great nostalgic step into time. It's a step in time. That, okay. That I, I'm excited about. Well, <laughs> never need a reason, never need a rhyme. No. Uh, so, uh, but uh, Howard of the, of the famous Benditson brothers, uh, <laughs> Howard would go on to write a few things, but his credits end in 1994. So I think he got out of the biz. But Bob Benditson, He previously had written for the Jeffersons and for Alice, and he would go on to be a writer and supervising producer for shows like Newhart, Coach, The Simpsons, and probably the largest of all of his credits, supervising producer for 150 out of 204 episodes of Home Improvement. I'm fascinated with the fact that they have these writers that have never written for the show before just stop in 
And because it, it, it does make me wonder, like when they're like, hey, you want to write an episode of the facts of life? Okay, tell me who these characters are. Like, yeah. how, do, how do you do that as a writer? I'm wondering. I'm not it, insulting or, or judging. I'm just wondering, like, as a writer, if somebody was like, hey, do you want to write an episode of The Handmaid's Tale? I'd be like, uh. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I, uh, what's the characters' names, first yeah. of all? And a little bio on each of them? I don't know. But so I don't know, like, how they just showed up and were like, let me write an episode of this thing, especially a pivotal one where they're opening this store. But maybe that makes sense because halfway through, Mrs. Garrett's like, this wasn't a good idea. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it. And the thing is, um, I I would understand how there is the occasional one off because there are the people there. There there was a time when you could send in an unsolicited script like you and I could say, let's write an episode of the facts of life and send it in. And it would actually reach somebody who would look at it and if it was even halfway good they might move it on to somebody else like it it was possible to do that nowadays of course you do not submit anything without uh an agent if you do submit something they immediately have to throw it away because they're like we're not getting into legalities with with david and matthew saying well that was the idea we sent in four years ago it's like nope didn't even crack the envelope boys so it's legalities now. But so it wouldn't surprise me if there was the occasional spec script, especially this late in the show or in the seventh year now, how there are people who are fans who are writers and said, hey, I want to stab at this. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in, in terms of you'd think they would assemble their room of writers and we would just see the rotation of Deidre Fay and Stuart Wolpert. Linda Marsh and Margie Peters, Paul Haggis, and the two Bobs, uh, Jerry Mayer from episode one. It's like, those are the names we would expect to see. And yeah, maybe they wrote these two with the intent to be with the show a long time. And after the two episodes, the the network went, "Mm, we could move you to something else. We think your talents would be best utilized elsewhere. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well... Um, did I say this was directed by John Boab? Well, it was. We've talked about the writers, talked about the director. Um, opening credits continue to have little tweaks and changes in that. Still, the Edna's Edibles card. This is the final time we are ever going to see Edna's Edibles. Oh, David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now... Uh, and and in this episode, because we have both Andy and George, we have credits for both Mackenzie Aston and George Clooney. We had one and then the other the last two weeks. So now we, we got a full boat. So, um, you know what? Instead of doing your uh, putting you on the spot and asking you to do the quick short synopsis. Okay. The two sentence synopsis. I would like to do more of a 10 sentence synopsis of my own. And okay. then we can just go back and hit on the points. Okay. I, 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 this, this was such a dog of an episode. <laughs> I'm not sure I have it in me to dissect it line by line by line. No. And it's not really worth it to do so. Yeah. <laughs> but we start off the episode uh, showing us that Edna's at a book. That over our heads, <laughs> we're, we're a new business now, over our heads is now fully stocked. It now looks as it is going to be mm-hmm. with the porcelain Marilyn Monroe and Charlie Chaplin on the columns and the bins with the candy and all of that. So and, and the, all the bright colors. I mean, it does look really, really fun. Like I would love to shop at that store. For realsies. Don't know if I'd buy anything, but I'd love to look around and say, oh, isn't that cool? Oh, that's cool. I'm sure somebody would buy that. I'm not gonna, but. Um, So uh, Andy and George are helping out. Uh, They're all dressed in sweatshirts. We know from uh, our interview with our close personal friend, Diana Eden, Mm -hmm. that that was a challenge for her. Do you remember what she said? Well, because every girl's shaped differently and suddenly she's got to put them all in the same sweatshirt. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> which which looks good on nobody yeah and she said she had to get creative with it and did you notice how how they did vary the looks for the girls yep 
Yep. I liked that. Mm-hmm. And I liked the comparison to Mrs. Garrett coming showing up in black and orange. Like I'm <laughs> Halloween. It was, it was a perfect, like, you know, like, oh, bright and bright and flashy. And then Mrs. Garrett, like, she's going to a funeral. Like, <laughs> I think it was an interesting choice and a, and the right choice. Mm-hmm. I for, agree. For I totally time. agree. But yes, they took the sweatshirts and made them into V-necks, which automatically made them look more feminine. Blair had an Oxford shirt under hers. Tootie has a scarf around her neck. Joe has got her Jerry Seinfeld stand-up jacket over it. Natalie isn't wearing anything under hers. How Uh, do you know? Oh, my God. Because, I mean, I'm assuming she has a bra on. (laughs) She's wearing a bra. But uh, she is... Wearing a blue sweatshirt and her scrunchie is also blue that matches her sweatshirt. Yeah. It's like, ah, nice little touch. So they all have something going on that is kind of individualizing the look because if it was just straight up sweatshirts, they would have all looked awful. Yeah. Last week we talked about Mrs. Garrett finding her burnt sign, her inevitable sign. Yeah. And she's like, I had it in my window for years. Yeah. And I was like, well, Two years, technically not wrong, but I think you're making a bigger deal out of it. Well, she has the sign and she fixed it. And she, she fixed it. How do you unburn a fucking sign that has a chunk of it burnt off? <laughs> well, apparently, but from her days as a woodworker, David, <laughs> before she was uh, an RN, she would, yeah. and be, while she was managing that, that restaurant, um, and- Running the suicide hotline and also helping to yeah. trap lobsters up in Bangor, Maine. Yeah. <laughs> Bangor, you brought her. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That is the comedy of the hilarious Benditson brothers. So she's talking about her sign, right? And yeah. the first thing Tootie does and the cast does is take Edna on a tour of the store. Yeah. Has she not? Where has she been? <laughs> exactly. She, I... <laughs> she didn't. She she wasn't there the day we installed the record section. What? What? <laughs> exactly. I, Why was... couldn't they have done that with that first customer? Why couldn't they have done it with Andy or with George, who hadn't been by in a few days? You know, they or could that's... say, "Wow, this all came together. There was barely anything here a couple of days ago. You guys pulled this together so fast." Yeah, well, it's great. Come over here. Look, you see, this section is where you have this. This is where the cards are. This is yeah. where the records are, and this is where Mrs. Garrett stands behind a counter with a plate of cookies. <laughs> Did you notice? Yeah. That that's literally the, the corner that they convinced Mrs. Garrett would be her little Edna's corner to bake whenever she wanted she literally had a plate of cookies yeah because you can get candy on the one on the one desk over on the other side Mm -hmm. but if you want a cookie you gotta go on the other side of the store i'm sorry that's not my section yeah sorry yeah you have to pay (laughs) separately yeah and we have one of those credit card machines that goes chunk chunk you have to run it over the card and the carbons um, my and, question uh, that I never really thought of, and I blame you for making me think of this, David, as oh, I was really? looking at the store and they're doing their tour. Where is their storeroom? Oh, <laughs> where? Oh, baby, I'm such a proud <laughs> papa right now. <laughs> where, where are they keeping all of this merch? <laughs> Agreed. Before, when it was a food store they could only have a limited inventory because it was perishable. It had a shelf life and most of what I'll bet you it's the kitchen now, but no, we have, I mean, the kitchen's not baking. The kitchen is a full kitchen. It's a house kitchen now. Okay. Wait till you see it. Can't, I can't wait to see that. Complete with door to get into said kitchen from the outside. Yeah. So uh, my short synopsis is becoming a long one after all. Uh, For this grand opening, Natalie has hired a performance artist. We will talk about him, I'm sure. Uh, We have customers coming in. And then we have a a policeman come in and say that there were some bogus, fake Tina Turner brand 
clothing pieces on the on the black market. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. That was not a racial slur. No, they make one of those later. Uh, oh, they, oh, they do. They do. I totally forgot. <laughs> and so because on the invoice is Mrs. Garrett's name. We go to commercial with him taking her away to take her downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or having merch in her store that may be stolen or whatever that she legitimately paid for and has an invoice. It's like, bitches, yeah. talk to the company I bought it from. What the absolute goddamn fuck? Yeah, that was going to be my synopsis. If you asked me, I was going to say, um, in this episode, Mrs. Garrett gets arrested. Yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so we come back from commercial and all of them are sitting around going, wow, really sucks. They hauled her down to the clink. Yeah. Must really be terrible. Hope she doesn't die there. She must be so alone and scared. It's like, you know, one of you could have gone with her or followed her. I know you don't have any transportation because you all took a fucking train to Peekskill and Joe didn't bring her bike and Blair didn't bring her car. But be that as it may. Well, and that also comes up. Their lack of transportation comes up as well. <laughs> oh, it's right. Where? When does it come up? Remind me. Um, she goes, I would have been home sooner, but there was an unpaid parking ticket on my car. You're right. And Joe goes, right. sorry. <laughs> a little, little lower. Sorry. There it is. There it is. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So. During the second act, after we get back from commercial, Mrs. Garrett comes back. Apparently they got, you know, they they needed her for questioning right away because this is shit the police has to be right on goddamn top of. Yeah. So she's back, parking ticket paid. And then she says, girls, I've had this sinking feeling for the last few weeks and I maybe should have said something. I think opening the store was a big mistake. I think we should sell the store. And so the girls are like, what the fuck are you talking about? We just, this is our opening day. We've made such a big deal about it. You're talking about closing on the day we open. And Mrs. Garrett says, I want you girls to get your money back out of this place while it is still sellable, while somebody might want to take it on. But I just, I think it was a mistake. I just, I just have this feeling. (laughs) So then- we cut to the next scene and there's a sign up says going out of business sale the same day. Yeah. The same day. Mm-hmm. And now the place is full. People are haggling and trying to get stuff for cheap. And then uh, George brings in a group of people that he collected from local yard sales. Uh, the two old ladies that went to Edna's uh, wedding for Ted Metcalf that ended up not happening. The two old ladies are there. And uh, I mean, it's crazy how much more busy it gets. Don't you fucking hate a going out of business sale? Like when you know, like JC Penny is shutting down and you say going out of business sale, you know, closing this, whatever. And you get there and it's like, yeah, you can get up to 15 or 20% off. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 no. Going out of business means I get a new wardrobe for 50 cents. <laughs> I mean, that's just me. Uh, so then a real estate dude shows up and she's like, oh, you're so fast. She apparently called a real estate agent who then called this dude said, hey, I got something that you might want to be interested in buying. And he condescendingly says he wants to buy the place at 50% of what you paid. 50, he offers 50% of what you paid. Well, he turns it into a sexist thing. You exactly. gals didn't know what you were getting into and all that shit. So you you insult Mrs. Garrett's femininity and that's when the twinkle shows up that fucking Joe can't stop talking about anyway. Yeah, it basically riles her up and ignites her desire to succeed all over again. And no sooner has she kicked his ass to the curb without saying anything to the effect of, oh, we forgot my son Raymond actually owns the building. Uh, and so, are they selling the business or th- they live there? <laughs> exactly. What the shit? You're totally right. Where, yeah. 
if it was just selling the business, which by the way, don't they take away the door that separated the store from the house? Isn't it just like a, a an archway, like a match game shaped round hole now? Did you I notice if, that? I, I don't know. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it. But I know that the doors are there because um, in later seasons, you see them and the doors are just shut. Hmm. Oh, I didn't I didn't actually watch it on my computer. Um, I only watched this once. I took notes while I was watching it the one time because I just had a feeling it was not going to be a double watchable. Um, uh, so with that, with the twinkle being back in Mrs. Garrett's eye, everything is going to be fine and we're going to keep the store and all is going to be good in this arrangement that makes no fucking sense where a group of young women are invested in a business in the town where they went to high school. And if we didn't just rub broken glass on your balls, Matthew, and dip, <laughs> and dip them in alcohol, now we're going to end this nightmare with one swift kick to the nuts for you with your favorite thing, a sitcom lie. A sitcom lie. That's right. Mm. There's this running gag of this weird statue thing. And what it is, is it's it's just like a moldable statue toy sort of a thing. Yeah, I've seen them. It's all uh, little curvy pieces of plastic that rotate next to each other and you can make it into different shapes. It's just like a fucking toy. So the whole thing of this episode is, well, what is this thing? I don't know. What the hell is it? I don't know. You ordered it. And then woman walks over to the newly twinkling Mrs. Garrett and says, <laughs> oh, this is interesting. What is this? And what does Mrs. Garrett say, Matthew? That? It's, it's, it's a planter. Yeah, that's it. A planter. <laughs> Soil in here, plants in there. And I'm like, there is nothing there to contain it, but you could put a pot, you could stick a pot in there. But no, yeah. yeah, sitcom lying, and my favorite thing ever. But I have a lot of things that, like, I just almost every one of my notes ends with a question mark. I'd like that. <laughs> okay, well then let's uh, let's do this because I'm always the one leading. I'm always the one synopsizing, doing the talking. I do want to talk about the racist comment that does mm -hmm. come up uh, because I didn't understand it. And uh, so um, it's when the old ladies come in initially, the yeah. old ladies say, we're here because we love your quiche. And Edna's like, I don't do that anymore. We're not that kind of store, but, but I had these cookies <laughs> and then they say, oh, great. And they walk away with the whole plate. So now Edna has nothing to sell. Then they come back later and they say, oh, your cookies were terrific. They're the best cookies I ever had. And you realize that's all code, right? They're there to buy drugs. <laughs> the old women are there to buy drugs, David. I don't know how you didn't pick up on this. And they're confused that their dispensary basically has gone out of business. Yeah. Oh, we don't do that anymore. The lady's like, what the fuck? I need my oxy. I need. <laughs> um, she comes back in and says, those cookies were the best I ever tasted. And she said, her friend said, almost as good as that famous black man. Yeah. Yeah. What, who's, what am I missing? Who's I'm assuming famous Amos. Famous Amos. Cookies. Oh, shit. Is famous Amos cookies supposed to be Amos and Andy? I don't think so. I think it's a really far-stretching joke. Okay. Famous, famous Amos, that famous black man, like she's confused the two. Yeah. You know? Um, well, let's see. The famous Amos Cookie Company was born in Tallahassee, Florida. Oh, shit. This is probably not going to be good. <laughs> we, we're, we're already in trouble if it started here in Florida. Um, July 1st, 1936. In 1948, he moved to New York City. Uh, oh, Wally Amos is African-American. Then maybe it isn't an Amos and Andy joke. Maybe she's just like that. She couldn't remember his name. That famous black man. I had no idea that famous Amos Cookies was actually was a black man who is still alive. He's 84 years old. 
he's still around. Holy shit. He's outlived his own reference on the facts of life. Damn. The people that referenced him aren't even alive anymore. <laughs> yes, because these women are in their early 100s, I think. <laughs> uh, but we love them. And we know that they they were at the first wedding, the non-wedding with yeah. Ted. We know that they're going to be back for the fucking next wedding next season, which is just hilarious. I love that. Uh, so that's all. I wanted to make sure we pointed out the, the racist comment, but I guess it's not racist. It's just a old white woman with a Southern accent who knows who makes her yeah, cookies. I don't think it, I honestly don't think there was any racism intended in it. It's just when you watch it through 21, 2021 eyes, it's like, mm, it's like oh, oh, oh something's going famous, on there that famous black man oh i don't know if that's how i would have worded it today yeah like <laughs> i might have actually fucking said his name you yeah. know <laughs> that's that, yeah that that famous guy who makes cookies what famous amos something they could have anyway yeah but, there was there was work there was a workaround there yeah uh, other than the an old lady saying famous black man which is always comedy gold. Yeah, always comedy gold. Always. Yeah, always. <laughs> David, my other question is. Okay, I want to all your questions, Matthew. Let's start and just go down the fucking list. I okay. want to hear these. Um, well, we get to see George and his bulge um, mm. very, very quickly. Yum, um, yum, 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 yum. And we're, are we trying to establish a joke that George has like an ongoing catchphrase, if you will? Because in the both episodes he's been in, he has said, he has delivered this line. I don't want to be, I don't want to litter. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm, I'm not aware yes. of that. He said oh. it twice. He's like, you know, I come out, I have a, a piece of garbage. I can't throw it out my window. I don't want to litter. You know what I mean? I end up taking the garbage. And it's like, <clears throat> I don't know if they're trying to make that a, a catchphrase for him, but he said it in the last episode and he said it in this episode. Yeah, they'd have been better to go with something like, what you talking about, Tootie? <laughs> um, my other question, and I mean, I'm not even going to address the performance artist. What, what in the actual fuck? What I, I don't even know what these writers were thinking. Like, the, the set is busy enough. We don't need another person in, no. that, in that room. Yeah. And, um, and it's a bottle episode. The entire thing takes place in the store. We never go to the house. Yeah. We never go anywhere else. This is uh, all in this one set. And he's a little skinny guy because he's the same height as Mindy Cohn. So he's a little, yeah. little guy. Uh, he was and 30 when he filmed that. He, he was, was 30. 30. Are you talking about the wonderful Douglas Warhit? <laughs> who had small roles in the movie Christine, Beverly Hills Cop, and played one of those aliens on Star Trek The Next Generation, as did our friend, the wonderful... Armin something. Armin Shimmerman. Armin Shimmerman. I just was texting with Aaron about that. Um, so it, it, it's one of those same... What, what creature was it I get? It's not the, the Klingons. It's the... Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, so he was on The Next Generation. But uh, his credits end in 1996. So he got out of the biz or... Yeah retreated to the theater or something like that. But uh, yeah, he comes in in a black body stocking and sunglasses and basically doesn't talk. Until the next act, he says, he says something as he's putting clothes on a line or something. And it's uh, just that awful sitcom writer thing of, if we just make somebody do something weird, we can call a performance art and it's funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. And so, uh, I didn't get that. But I also didn't get... The point of the storyline with their customer, that old man, their first customer who just wants change and then decides to buy a doll, mm -hmm. a Cupid doll, which we're making a comeback. He brings it back later on and goes, well, I need, I need to exchange this. The arm is missing. And Tootie's like starting to get frustrated with him. And then she re replaces it. And they do a whole bit where Natalie's like all parts included, slams it on the counter and yeah. hands it to him then he comes back and says i need to replace this one it's got a it's got an eyeball missing yeah and then comedy's in threes i guess because he finally comes back for the third one 
And they're and like, fine, take our doll that we, we had framed your dollar because you were yeah. our first customer. Just here, take your damn money back. We can't help you anymore. And he goes, no, my granddaughter decided that her little doll needs a friend. That's the payoff. But Matthew, that means the business might succeed after all. It's subliminal. Is that what it was? It was a metaphor. Metaphor. A metaphor <laughs> for their business. Is that it? Like it's yeah. just crumbling in front of the. Okay. I don't right. know what a metaphor, but I know what I got. <laughs> I just remember seeing an interview with um, um, Mike Myers for British television. And the uh-huh. interview says, he goes, Now, when you say monkeys might fly out of your butt, um, is that a metaphor? And, and Mike Myers goes, <laughs> Well, monkeys aren't actually going to fly out of my yeah. butt. It's not literal. It's like, <laughs> fuck. It's a metaphor. <laughs> um, so I get it. Okay, if you're going to look into the two Bobs or whatever, the the, the Bendison brothers, yeah, the Bingleheimer brothers. Um, <laughs> if you think that they were that deep and like, oh, and representing their store will be this cupie doll that will yeah. fall apart halfway. Th- and just, I was like. I didn't understand that whole plot point. I didn't understand it at all unless we were there to learn that Tootie has zero customer service skills. Right, because she was trying to make a speech about the opening of the shop and he comes to the door and she like pushes the door and barricades it so the first customer can't come in because she's so damn caught up in her own speech. And the Mm. others are, of course, like Tootie, Tootie. It's like you could also move, walk over, move her physically away from the door and tell her stop being such a little bitch, but just oddly directed that they just stand by and let her do it. One thing that there is not a payoff of, like to me, that customer thing, at least that had something that I could latch on to. To me, the performance artist is the the little BCDE storyline where there was 0.0 payoff. Other than he just wasn't there anymore when it became a going out of business sale. So my next Um, question, my next issue, David. Yes, please. Next on your list. They must have given the the, um, Bunghole Brothers um, (laughs) the episode, um, the first episode of season four, where they move into Edna's Edibles, Mm -hmm. because something happens where George comes in and says something and Joe's response is, we'll be a parking lot by then. Oh, you're right. You've been open for 10 fucking minutes, Joe. Uh, dude. But it reminds me of the episode we watched um, for season four. It was like, it's like episode two where they're like open for a week. And Joe's like, we're only, we're in the red. We're yes. in the red. And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, Joe. But exactly. that took two weeks. This took 10 minutes for her to fucking throw up her hands in the, on this one. <laughs> You're right. You're so right. But yeah, th- I do remember that. That Yeah, yeah. By next week, we're going to be a parking lot. It's like, um, unless you have power of attorney over Mrs. Garrett's son, I don't believe you could technically make that happen. Yeah. And it would take time. It's not like this is the drive-in theater where they close on a Saturday night and the thing is going to be bulldozed at 6 a.m. Sunday morning. Exactly. They're going to have fucking (laughs) Andy riding in on a wrecking ball. (laughs) Uh, Or George Clooney riding in on a wrecker wrecker ball. Um, Mm -hmm. Wrecker ball. Do you know? know No, it doesn't work. Never mind. Did you notice um, the scene coming back from the commercial? I notice as in I watched it. You didn't think anything was funny about that? Oh, oh my God. Yes. I just looked at my notes. Uh, among the weird uh, whimsical gadgets is this. Is the sex toy. Is Exactly. I put down, is it a marital aid? It's a hand that is made of, clearly it's made of, you know, latex rubber, but it's got a motor inside. So the fingers wiggle. So it's supposed to be like a, a cousin it sort of thing predating the Adams family movies, but it's that middle finger is doing a lot of the work. That's, that's and clearly. Joe is mesmerized. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, and I just kept thinking, like, Blair's supposedly in charge of purchasing, obviously, because mm. so who bought that? And like, because you know how you can buy a dildo at Walgreens? It's just called a back massager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just, I wonder what other sex toys they got. Yeah. Well, I mean, that long tubular red thing that Mrs. Garrett later said was a planter. Part of me is like, I think I've seen that in a porn somewhere. No, that's definitely a restraining device. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I knew I seen it somewhere. I knew I did. Because what and- you do is you put your head through it, tighten it on both sides around your neck, and then the outside you can hold your, it tightens Wait, around um- your wrists. I've heard. I've heard. Oh, oh okay. Right. Nice. So what, what else do you have? Any other questions on your list? Um, I think I've covered everything. Um, yeah, and that's what Joe said about that wiggly hand that that would just about cover other, everything other than again, like we've been saying, um, the real estate agent somehow miraculously shows up um, and and I don't understand. He's saying, I'll give you 50 percent of what you paid for it. Again, Raymond owns this building, not you. Yeah. Edna. And we didn't pay for this business yeah. or this building. We renovated to repair from a fire. Some of it was insurance money, not all of it, but it's, yeah, it is such a, a convenient, easy blanket sitcom oversimplification device. And just a weird plot twist for them to be selling um, fake Tina Turner merchandise and an NYPD investigations officer in yeah. peak skill just happens to be like what like on the beat like i don't understand how he's like oh there's a shop opening up i better get over there and make sure they're not selling any of that tita turner material (laughs) though mrs garrett does say i like her yeah she's my age i if i were edna i would not have i would have been like we're changing that line Because the joke is she Edna looks terrible and Tina Turner looks great. And I would be like, yeah, that's not a joke I'm saying. So, <laughs> Hey, bumper stomper brothers, get over here and rewrite this shit. <laughs> give, give me an alt, if you will. Yeah, yeah. We need to we need to work that one. Let's punch it up. Uh, here's the other funny thing. Sitcom structure. You typically have the cliffhanger before you go to commercial. The act one ending this cliffhanger was mrs garrett being taken away by the cop to me the much more serious cliffhanger that they should have somehow adjusted the length of the scenes it should have been girls i think this was a big mistake i'm out that would have been a great place to end uh, act one and then when you come back from commercial we have the going out of business sale yeah I would have loved some type of a thing with Natalie kicking Otto, the performance artist out with just at the beginning, she's so appreciative and inferring all of this artistic merit on the stupid shit that he's doing. It would be great for Natalie just say, what the fuck? You don't even know what the hell you're doing. Get out of here. (laughs) Oh, oh, and she said she saw him at an avant-garde art gallery in Soho. (laughs) In Soho. Did she pay for him to travel from New York City to Peaks, she just gave up her airline ticket money so that the store could open. Why in the hell would Natalie have shelled out for that? Nope, I do not. I cannot sign off on that. No. Nope. A funny joke would have been at the end, like them ending their day or something. Like, oh, we've got it. Because at the end, Joe says, "With five hundred dollars in the black." okay joe um really your first day opening after Mm -hmm. all this renovation that you didn't have enough money for no you're not no (laughs) no i i I wasn't even there joe and i know you're not but um fuck what was i gonna say you're talking Um, about the performance artist yeah yeah, the perfect ending would have been them at the end of the day the doors closed How'd we do? Joe, we're $500 over. Oh, this is going to be a good thing. And they walk out, turn off the lights, and the performance artist sits up and is like, wait, I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, that guys? That would have been the payoff. <laughs> like, guys. Yeah. Um, oh. Hey, um, can, can I, can you unlock the door? 
that would have been the payoff yeah. for, for him. To yeah, that we forgot about him and then he comes. That would have been a great yeah. callback. Agreed. Agreed. That's what I mean. What I have a happen? note mm-hmm. from the early part of the episode. I have a note that the lighting is terrible. This is a new set and they clearly haven't aimed the lights properly. Notice how every single one of them is in some sort of a shadow. When she says Tina Turner's my age, look at that. That's <laughs> terrible lighting. She looks awful. <laughs> now in this scene where George Clooney is talking to Natalie mm-hmm. about the flyers, he's in shadow, look at that. And he's casting a shadow on her face. It's like they went to the trouble to light the set and forgot they needed to light the, the talent. Anyway, I was already noticing that. And then we get to the point when the guy comes over, it's right in the shot when Mrs. Garrett says, uh, don't touch it unless you're buying it. Notice how the color gets saturated and bright on that shot. Right there. Look at how much more color. You see that? She looks like an Oompa Loompa all of a sudden. Yeah. And now from here to the end of the episode, look at the whole, even the things in the background, look at how much brighter and more saturated the color is. Something happened, something weird where they, they, they fucked up the lights in the rehearsal taping or, or I should say in the broadcast taping and realized it too late and fixed it and just figured, oh, we'll hope nobody notices. But um, yeah, to anybody watching, uh, this is the, the chopped down version that you would see on Daily Motion. It is at 19 minutes and 50 seconds, the wide shot with Mrs. Garrett and the real estate guy. Yeah. That is the color palette saturation level that we have had for this entire episode. And then when it cuts to the close up of Mrs. Garrett saying, don't touch it, suddenly boom it's like we just we just fucking stepped into the willy wonka chocolate factory yeah and i didn't know if you had noticed that i had not i had not Mm. but it does make me wonder now like i'm thinking like oh they built the set i wonder if they were like girl we gotta get an episode out we don't have the lights up yet (laughs) yeah or somebody accidentally left the work lights on and the, the cameras were absorbing the blue cool work lights and somebody, they stopped for a line flub or a retake or a reshoot and somebody went, are those supposed to be on? Oh, fuck, no, tick. And then suddenly, <laughs> woo, it, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're in yeah. Oz. <laughs> and I thought that was so weird. I've never, ever seen something so technically weird like that in effects well, of life. And now that you pointed out, I'm going to have to keep it in the back of my head to track their lighting now. Like, Because mm-hmm. I've commented in Edna's Edibles, when they come down, when they would come down to like the table, that the lighting would be overhead or even a little upstage of them. So you'd get a shadow on the camera side. I've, I've mm-hmm. commented before on some of the lighting being a little wonky, even in Edna's Edibles. Mm. So, yeah. Um, so I, that I did need to say, absolutely. That had I'm to be glad said. You said it. I'm so God glad you said it. it. Yeah. Oh. No, people say, don't go there, David. I go there. Yeah. I'm controversial. You're else? the glorious Steinem of, of, of podcasting, <laughs> David, of facts of life podcasting. I should say, let me clarify. You're the yeah. glorious Steinem of facts of life podcasting, David. You're the Virginia slim. You're the Ms. Magazine. You've I, come a long way, baby. Oh, I was I I I wanted to be like the the Andy Kaufman of Facts of Life podcast, but I guess I'm not. No, people get your humor. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I agree. Like I remember as a kid seeing the whole I will box a woman and I can I can physically defeat any woman. The the sexism of that whole routine. I remember as a kid going what the fuck is this? And that's not one of those things where I say now, oh, in hindsight, it was so brilliant and no. revolutionary and comedically daring. I don't, I don't get it. And he used to do they all these people like, oh, I was at a gig of his where he sat down and read A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm out. 
I don't they should have hired him instead of this auto dude to come and be at the <laughs> store for their grand opening slash going out of business slash grand opening sale. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that, I got a track. I totally have to track mm. now. If George Clooney had had a catchphrase, they were attempting to impose. Um, let me just read through my notes. Make sure Blah. Natalie's blowing up and already blown up oh, palm tree palm at the beginning. Tree, yeah. I, mm. Okay. And that made me think like a little step in time. It's like we would have bought that and not thought a thing about the fact that a total stranger put their lips on that thing and and, <laughs> and blew that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> there is a fun moment where uh, the statue, that thing that Mrs. Garrett later says is a planter. Uh, there is a point where someone is interested in it and to try and sell it. George and Andy try to do a great, wow, that's a really cool item. I think I should have that for my house. But what would you use it for? Oh, it's got so many uses. And it was just some funny good actors acting badly, mm-hmm. deliberately, I, that, that I, I do get a, a little bit of a kick out of. Okay, the performance artist, if people haven't watched the episode, there's one point where he's hanging clothes on a clothesline and reciting a poem. This one point he's popping balloons and freaking Mrs. Garrett the fuck out. And then at one point, randomly out of the blue, he goes running after Andy screaming, flee, flee, child of the devil, death is upon us. And Andy's reaction is just like, what the fuck? And then there is one point at the end of the scene where it looks like he's starting to take off his leotard. Yeah. Like he's starting to slide it down over one of his shoulders. It's like, what was it? Was he supposed to be stripping? And maybe that was the, maybe that was the big comedy in threes. Maybe that was his third thing. Yeah. He's going to get naked and she's like not having it. No. I mean, uh, David, here's what I'm thinking because we're open. We're now. This is it. This is our facts of life now. And <sighs> I, I'm excited because these are truly the episodes that I actually remember seeing mm-hmm. first run. Yeah. So to revisit them now through Critical Eyes. But I'm thinking now with the way that the sitcom has gone, David, is that when we have guests on, we have <laughs> guests on, um, I, I don't feel like we'll have to do as much explaining who characters are anymore. I because, hope not. Because they're not really anymore the same. Like Joe is not at all the same girl that she was in the no. past three seasons. So, I mean, the characters have changed so much in the way they're writing the episodes now. Like, you know, you can put on an episode of the Golden Girls any season and you get it. Yeah. You, you don't need to really know. The yeah. entire history of them. So I think we're going to experience that a lot more with um, the guests. People will be like, okay, I get who Mrs. Garrett is and I get mm-hmm. like who Blair is and stuff and just yeah. from the episode. So I don't think we'll have to have you explain. Um, well, Mrs. Garrett. Well, yeah, okay. She- <laughs> well, she, it's like, is, is Joe typically tough? Like, is she typically, does Joe typically argue with Blair? It's like, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's Why it are is you what here? it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I need to get Ken Reed on. I really need to get Ken Reed because he's like, he's been, he's been saying he wants to do over our heads. Like this is, this is his facts of life too. Oh my God. Um, I can't wait to meet him. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun looking forward now that we got over this damn hurdle of, okay, could we get the shop open and Ugh. see, see what, what new comedy gold is coming down the pike. Oh, what episode are we going to watch next week, David? Next week, Matthew, teacher, teacher. Oh, my God. Somebody's going to be hot for teacher. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is the episode. Joe, Joe becomes a substitute teacher. And uh, because, you know, Joe loves kids. And Joe's been thinking about going into education. Has she? Did uh, I miss something? It was brought up in the interview show. Okay. And then. Maybe. Yeah. Well, then she said that she worked at a summer camp for kids on the train while she was talking. Blair's thought balloon, not 
was, um, oh, there goes Joe talking about kids and being a teacher again, <sighs> like she does that, Joe. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they maybe were setting that up. With, but, okay. Really. I guess. I mean, it does. It does. This does track, I guess. It's a little bit of a gear shift, but at least they stick to it all the way into the health center, the Paul Provenza episodes. You know, unlike Blair's renaissance of, I've got to get back to my art. Mrs. Garrett, I'm enrolling in courses. And daddy, I don't want to be in the fashion industry. I want to apply for a designer internship at your rival. <laughs> or not. <laughs> whatever do you know who our guest is gonna be i do not i'm i'm going to be working on getting us some guests i had to get over this hurdle of extreme busy and i am over it now yeah. where i can have time to start uh recruiting a, a third so we can do we can do some three ways again oh my god baby <laughs> maybe, maybe you should call paul padilla for our first one the first three way Oh, that would be, well, wouldn't be our first three-way. We've had, we've oh, had three no. ways with Paul. No, we know, we know where that electric hand is going. Yeah. <laughs> it would actually yeah. be our third, because remember, Paul, we did uh, The Facts of Life Goes to Paris. That was mm-hmm. two episodes. I think the raw footage was about seven. Yeah. Uh, but then we also did on TV Talkaholics, the three of us talked about the, Edna, right. the, the Charlotte Ray memoir. Charlotte's Web. Uh, no, the, the facts of my life. That would have been a really funny name, though. Because you <laughs> know how was... they say, like, you know, the stories. Oh, this is the web I've weaved. You know, that's my story. Yeah. She could have called it Charlotte's Web. And and Paul Lind could have been Templeton. <laughs> that because wasn't they nice, were besties. <laughs> huh? That wasn't nice, Charlotte. <laughs> it says crunchy. Um. Okay, yeah, I get those confused because it reminds me of the night I spent with the Jonas Brothers, David. So I forget. I get my three ways mixed up. Oh, anyway. okay, yeah, not not the one like you with uh, Burt Reynolds and Jim Neighbors. That's that's not uh, the type of three way we're talking about. No. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. No, I kept my wig on for hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's sign off because we've got stuff to do. I've got some editing to do, and uh, we can look forward to doing this again next week, Matthew, with you I'm... by my Zoom screen side. Oh, I've got hot girl stuff to do, David. So okay, <laughs> this has been fun. Bye. I love you. Love you too, sweetie. And there you have it. Only correction I have is that uh, in talking about the hand that had the motor in it that was making the fingers move, I referenced the Adams family and I said cousin it. Of course, I didn't mean cousin it. Cousin it is the little little mountain of hair thing. I was talking about thing. Thing is the hand that is the hand that moves around like a hand. And anyway. Next week, Matthew and I are going to be back with Season 7, Episode 4, Teacher, Teacher. If you wish to watch it ahead of time, you can find the link to the video in this week's show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you, as always, for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. 